0: Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 108 with Andy Malensky. And he has got a great perspective and research-based book called Reach coming out in mere days, which covers some great perspective on what it takes to reach beyond your current capabilities, your comfort zone, and make new strides and capabilities and things that you didn't even think you were capable of doing. So you're going to learn, one, the psychological roadblocks that hinder us from reaching beyond our skills, two, why it's worth exiting your comfort zone in the first place, and three, Andy's research-based three C's for stepping outside your comfort zone. So if you want to check out the show notes, the transcript, or the links to items mentioned here, you'll find that over at dot com slash ep108. Here's a quick bit about Andy. Andy Malensky is a professor of international management and organizational behavior at the Brandeis International Business School. He's the author of Global Dexterity, published by Harvard Business Review Press in 2013, and the forthcoming book, Reach. A new strategy to help you step outside your comfort zone, rise to the challenge, and build confidence. Published by Penguin Random House, coming out in just days. Here's Andy. Andy, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast.
1: I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, I'm excited to have you absolutely and dig into so much of the fun stuff that's in your book coming out, Reach. But first things first, I thought it'd be fun to maybe break the ice. You've studied in Spain, worked in France have some great stuff in terms of your first book and uh, cultural code cheat sheet on your website about kind of living and working in different places. So would you perchance have a funny story you could kick us off with about maybe international travels or cultural misunderstanding? It seems like you'd be the clearinghouse for these sorts of things.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. I So my first book, Global Dexterity, is about acting outside your cultural comfort zone. And I lived in Spain I've lived in France. I lived in Denmark for a while. It's funny. The first thought that popped into my mind was at a dinner party in France. Now, I went to France in my early 20s because I was interested in global business, but I had never really done any global business. So I went to France and I got an internship in a global business. I didn't love the business, but I love living there. It was such a fascinating like, experience way outside my comfort zone, having grown up in the United States, never having traveled abroad. And frankly, I didn't speak much French at the time. So I was learning as I was going, and it was super exciting and fun. And I remember like, when you just said that, I just it brought me back to a dinner party. And I was at this dinner party with another American, both of us about the same level of French, which is you know, intermediate. And we're at the table. And they were serving dinner and it was this little creature, you know, this cooked creature. And I had no idea what it was. And at the time, I don't think I had like the most adventurous eating. I definitely was not the most adventurous eater. And I remember them saying that it was Kai. It's Kai. It's Kai. They were telling me in French. I look at my friend. I'm like, what is Kai? Like We like looked at it. We had no clue what it was. We thought it might've been like some sort of like you know, roadkill pigeon or some like really odd thing, at least for us. And so I remember we ate it politely, no idea what it was. And I remember coming back, taking the Metro back to our little apartment that we were staying in. And we both ran up the stairs, like bolted into the door, went to find our dictionary. Because at the time, you know, this dates me. There were no smartphones right at this time. So we ran to get our paper dictionary, looked up what Kai was, figured out, I had to figure out how to spell it. And then it turns out it was quail. OK, <laughs> so yeah, it wasn't too bad, but it was just sort of like, you know, it's a funny little story, but it's sort of emblematic of like, you know, the uncertainty. And that's a very simple little everyday example of stepping outside your comfort zone, especially if you're not an adventurous eater. You're in a world where you don't understand much. And it was an amazing experience to live and work abroad. And that's just one little sort of fun personal anecdote. But yeah, that's what your question brought me back to.
0: Oh, that is fun. Well, so let's talk some more about this world of venturing out and experiencing different things, be it quail or in the (laughs) adventures of the workplace. So I was really intrigued as reading through your book and description. So you say, what often sets successful people apart is their willingness to do things most of us fear. And... I like that sentence. It seems and feels about right, but I imagine you've got a whole lot of hard facts, research and observations behind that assertion.
1: Yeah, so for the past many years, I should say I'm a professor at Brandeis University in the business school and also in the psychology department. And so for the past several years, I've been researching the challenges that people face across professions and trying to step outside their comfort zone, why it's hard, how they avoid it, and what they can do to do it more successfully. And so I've interviewed or spoken with, and I also have sort of a learning laboratory I can tell you about in a little bit if you're interested. So I've spoken and worked with and interviewed executives, managers, entrepreneurs, people who are younger, people who are older, teachers, professors, lawyers, small business owners, baristas, goat farmers, rabbis, priests, I mean, you name it, like across the professions. and. What I think sets people apart is not the fear that they experience, but it's the ability and willingness and capacity to take action despite the fear. And these are everyday things. These are things where, for instance, you're a timid introvert, let's say, and it's really hard for you to step into a networking situation to get up the courage. It's really hard for you to, I don't know, make small talk with people you don't know or you have a hard time participating in meetings, or you're a micromanager and you now have to let go and you have to delegate, learn to delegate, or you're afraid of public speaking and you have to step up to the plate and actually learn to give a speech, or you are not an assertive person, or you're a people pleaser and you have to deliver bad news. I mean, as you can tell, it goes on and on. And in our everyday lives, we experience situations like this. And so I think those who are successful are able to find a way to step outside their comfort zone despite the fear that they experience and give these things a shot. And we could talk later about what happens, but that's what my work's about, trying to understand how to give people the courage and skills to be able to step outside their comfort zone.
0: Well, that sounds so valuable. And well, first, I want to think a little bit as I'm reflecting on my own comfort zone and stuff. You know, I think often when I'm exiting it, I don't so much experience fear like you know like you know terror or oh no but it's more like i don't know exasperation like oh boy this is going to be a whole lot <laughs> but it's similar in that there is a level of comfort that i'm leaving like ugh, you know i'm about to you know jump into this thing which could be a real big mess and i don't know if i've got the time energy capacity to handle it well right now ugh. so i guess that's how I feel when I'm venturing forth. So when you talk about, you know, comfort zone and fear, maybe could we define those terms a
1: little bit? Sure. It's not just fear, I would say. I was using fear sort of as shorthand. I think there are a lot of different challenges. I call them psychological roadblocks in the okay. book. So, you know, there are a bunch of different ones and different people can experience different roadblocks in different situations. Frankly, you can experience a roadblock in one situation that you don't experience in another. But for instance... Many people feel inauthentic. They don't feel themselves when stepping outside their comfort zone. And that's actually pretty hard when that's the case. Or they feel that they're incompetent. Maybe they don't feel quite competent at the skills that they need to use in whatever situation that might be. And they feel that their incompetence will be visible. Mm -hmm. Some people feel what I call the likability challenge that they're afraid that people are going to hate them if they act in this new way. And I can give you an example. Like there's a woman that I spoke with who was being essentially harassed by a male colleague, and she had every right to tell this guy off, but she was a very unassertive person. It was so hard for her to do it. And strangely, I mean, I I learned to understand why, but she was terrified that he would hate her when in fact, he's the hateable one. Yeah. (laughs) So. There are a variety of challenges. Some people feel a morality challenge. I mean, there are certain situations in the workplace like delivering bad news. Here's another one. I interviewed a woman who was a booker on a national news program, what a booker is, is it's someone who has to get guests.
0: Yeah, I need one of those. <laughs> yeah, there you go.
1: And one of her big jobs, and this was like, you know, a, a major television network, was after a tragedy or something like that. She had to be able to be the first to get the network to be the first to get the family of uh, a victim of a tragedy. And it was her job. She had to do it. And frankly, for her to keep her job and do it well, she had to be the first And I remember her telling me that it was just basically like sucked out a piece of her soul every time she did this. It was way outside her comfort zone. And for her, there's a morality roadblock there. So there are a range of different roadblocks that people experience. So when I say it's fear, that's a bit of a shorthand. It's really a range of things.
0: Oh, that is fantastically helpful and interesting because as I'm thinking like, yeah, that's my roadblock. It's just that sense of, oh, that's going to be a whole lot. And I don't know if I can deal with it all. You know, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> also, I'm curious then. So I think you'd find that term comfort zone and psychological obstacles, you know, quite nicely. And I think just a historical trek. Does that phrase stem from Stephen Covey's work in terms of like the panic zone and the stretch or growth zone? Is that because somehow this word became ubiquitous, like think outside the box?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. So I don't know where the etymology of the word comfort zone comes from, but you're right. There's that classic diagram, which is an awesome diagram, sort of like bullseyes, like a target with bullseyes. You've got the comfort zone. You've got the learning zone. You've got the panic zone. and There are different variants of it. And I actually opened my book talking about this by looking at the internet and pictures in the internet. Because if you Google comfort zone, you're going to find people like jumping off bridges. You're going to find fish jumping out of fish bowls. You're going to you say know, oh. sayings like, you know, life begins at the end of your comfort zone and all you need to do is stretch outside your comfort zone. And I mean, all those things are... May be true in a way, but what was missing is, I guess you might imagine, from a Google image search, is the pathway to get there, like some real solid advice that is not just advice that's anecdotal, but advice that has some science behind it for how to actually do it. And that's what inspired me. And that's what, you know, basically began my quest to understand these challenges from the perspective of these people from all sorts of professions, but also from myself, you know, because. I feature myself in the book, too, because I'm, a, you know, it's ironic. I say that it's like, you know, I'm writing a book about getting outside your comfort zone. You might imagine I'm great at it. I'm not. <laughs> i yeah. like, you know, I struggle, too. And, you know, that enables me to see the challenges, I think.
0: Oh, that's so good. And I got a chuckle as you were talking about stock photography and what you're going to bump into right there. Yeah. And that's why I reached out to you. I don't have a booker yet. Maybe at the, <laughs> my 200th episode, we'll upgrade go. and get that. I've got people helping me hunt down the ones I want. But so I liked you just because, yes, you know, it's how to be awesome at your job. And you've got some how content to share. And I'd love to dig into that. But first, if we could, is there any more you want to say about the why? Why we should venture out of the comfort zone? Why that matters and is important?
1: I think it's basically about growing and developing and people trying, you know, if you want to try to reach your potential. I think we are often in our lives, I think there's some statistic about Americans at least, change jobs 11 times during their careers. And even within a job, we're often changing roles and responsibilities. We have dreams, we have aspirations and so on. And in order to achieve these things, you're gonna have to step outside your comfort zone. And it's not just sort of like regular Joes like us. There's an interesting article I saw the other day that said that the number one fear of CEOs across the world is exactly this. They call it the imposter syndrome, the mm-hmm. idea that they feel like they're an imposter, like who am I to be a CEO? You know, so and in my book, I show how people that you'd never think necessarily would have these fears like CEOs or even like priests or rabbis, like or whatever your religious figure is, like people that you never really almost think about their humanity. When you talk to them, you realize that they struggle too, getting outside their comfort zone. So I think for growth, I think for personal or professional growth, it's essential. It's like core.
0: All right. I'm convinced. Well, take us into the how then. So you've got an overall strategy and framework you lay out there.
1: Yeah. In the book. So. I thought it was important to condense the ideas into something that's usable. I'm very into writing things that can be immediately used. I write for the Harvard Business Review, I write for Inc. magazine. I'm very into like when I write something, I want people to be able to pick up this book and use it immediately. And so I basically talk about three different tools that I noticed across all these cases. The first was conviction. It's critical to have a deep sense of conviction. In other words, giving yourself psychological permission to do this thing outside your comfort zone when every bone in your body is telling you no, something, some wind at your back to get you to do it, some sort of sense of purpose and conviction. And also another critical resource I found across all these people was clarity. I think oftentimes when we develop in clarity, I think when we're anxious, we often fall off the balance beam. We worry. We think in exaggerated terms. We see the world as black and white. I'll be a total failure. Or actually to the other extreme, Unless I'm a total success, I won't do it. So we think in these exaggerated terms, but to be able to sort of normalize and come to a sense of clarity about the most realistic likely possibility in a situation that's outside our comfort zone. I think that's critical to be able to sort of ground us, to not have us fall off the balance beam and to be able to kind of essentially approach instead of avoid. And then the last thing I think is probably the most surprising of all and probably the most powerful, and I call it customization. It's basically the idea that it was really interesting to me that across these professions, across all these cases, People had power, and they described subtle ways that they were able to sculpt or tweak or make slight minor accommodations to situations, all sorts of situations in all sorts of ways to make it just that little bit easier for them to do the situation. So for example, if you're afraid of networking, you might play with time. You might come at the beginning of the event because you know there'll be fewer people there and it's less intimidating. You might bring a buddy, you might bring a prop, you might script out a few sentences, you might set yourself a goal. There are all sorts of ways that we can take any given situation In terms of what we say, in terms of our body language, in terms of timing, in terms of props, in terms of sculpting situations. And there's some awesome examples in the book and really a set of tools for people to do that on their own. And that's what I call customization. And so those are the hows. And what's really critical, I found, is that the real essential tipping point is taking the leap actually doing it because we spend so much of our lives avoiding situations, either unconsciously or consciously that are outside our comfort zones. But when you can nudge yourself to take that leap, I think you oftentimes will find some interesting discoveries. And what I found across all these cases is that there are two main discoveries. One, this isn't as bad as I thought it was. (laughs) And number two, I'm actually better at this than I thought I was. And those Mm -hmm. are like core discoveries, but you can't have those discoveries unless you take a leap. So that's what the book's about. And it's got really rich stories from all these cases, plus a set of user-friendly tools. In fact, at the very end of the book, I provide a set of tools that people can use to apply exactly what we just talked about to their lives. So.
0: Oh, that is so fun. And I have so much to dig into there. Thank you. And it's so funny because I've been having that experience again and again lately because I just recently got married. And so I'm, you know, husband and I've done some things like changing light fixtures. Never done that before, you know, and a little terrified of like, oh, am I going to electrocute myself or how does <laughs> this And so I was like, oh, that wasn't so bad. And hey, that looks pretty good. And I guess I got it done, you know, in an hour.
1: How about getting married in the first place? Oh, yeah, that too. (laughs) (laughs) For a lot of people, that is a major leap outside their comfort zone, like losing their independence. And, you know, I don't know where you are, but I have two kids and having children is, you know, another leap. So, yeah, I think, you know, in our personal lives, this is very resonant as well.
0: Oh, sure. Well, I've got several questions, if I may. Let's dig into maybe each of the three. Of course, their C's. Well done. And I also like how customization is actually the perfect word, in my humble opinion, for this. And I thought, is he just trying to stretch to make it sound like a C? But no, it's customization kind of implies you're going to do it. So just figure out how it works for you, you know, as opposed to like conquering the challenge. You know, that's also a C, but it's, you know, kind of still intimidating and sort of tricky. Like I got to find the answer, the solution. And it's kind of a bigger bar. So let's talk about conviction here psychological permission, wind at your back kind of vibe you're saying and a sense of purpose. So I guess I'm thinking, do you mean a conviction just that like this must happen? Or is it a conviction that I can in fact do it? Or is it both? What kind of conviction are we talking about?
1: It's about why it's worth it for me to take this leap. In other words, like, you know what, if I want to become a manager, this is something I got to learn to do. You know, so it might be for my career. It might be for my self-development. It might be for my self-esteem. You know, I know it's hard, but I know I feel good about myself if I take this leap. Or for some people, conviction is actually helping other people. Like, you know, this is really hard for me to do, whatever this might be. But I'm going to be able to help others if I'm able to do this. It's sort of like finding some sort of sense of purpose. And what's important is that it's personal right? The framework applies to everybody, but you have to insert your own personal experience into the framework or else it doesn't work, right? It has to be something for you that really makes a difference. I should say a word here about another source of learning that I've had in terms of coming up with these ideas. This will sort of flesh things out too. I've created a course at Brandeis International Business School, Brandeis University, where I teach, and it's the best course I teach. I love teaching this course. I look forward to it every year. It's a course about stepping outside your comfort zone, exactly this. And so I have, you know, anywhere from 20 to 30 MBA students, and they have to choose a situation just like we're talking about. They have to learn sort of what the rules of the road are, how they need to act in order to do whatever this is. So if it's giving a speech or, you know, I don't know, networking, if they're afraid to do that or whatever it might be. And then they have to go off into the world and find real examples and go do it. And then of course, they sort of write a structured diary about their experiences. They come back to class, we share our experiences, we learn about best tips and tools from each other and from my research, and then they go off and do it again. So it's an incredible learning laboratory. And it's just been a tremendous source of learning for me in terms of these ideas. So these ideas that I'm describing in the book not only come from my research, not only come from the interviews I've done with you know, 50, 60 people across different professions, but also from this learning laboratory. So there's a real richness to this, and I feel pretty strong about what I'm saying.
0: Oh, that's great. Thank you. And good to hear that we have that backed up nicely. And so I guess I'd like to hear, so the conviction notion is like a sense of purpose why it's worth it for you and that could cover any number of things like it's the only way like yep. it must be done or yep. it's going to help so many people or you know it's going to mean real money which matters to you know my family or something so you connect that and so then with the clarity piece the thing that we're getting clarity on is just kind of like the risk and reward of the matter it's not so much the action but like kind of what it's my feelings unfold. about
1: it so All if right. you're stepping into a situation if you let's say you're I don't know, whatever your fear is, let's say your fear might be giving a speech, I don't know, a public speech, let's say, and your fear is that you will flop. You'll be so incredibly uncomfortable. You'll be so embarrassed. It will be so awful. You'll be the laughing stock. whatever it might be, right? It'll be a disaster. It'll be the end of your career. I think when people get anxious about something that's outside their comfort zone, that truly feels outside their comfort zone, I think they can oftentimes go off the deep end. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Or, or, they might say to themselves, you know, I'm only doing this, you know, it's not okay just to be okay. I'm only doing this if I wow everybody, if they see me as a prodigy, if Toastmasters wants to sign me up to be on their webpage, because I'm so incredible as a speaker. So people oftentimes have exaggerated views of where they have to be in order to do it. In other words, on the plus side, But even more often on the negative side, they sort of fall off the balance beam. And so what clarity is, is it's not looking for the best possible outcome, the ideal wishful outcome. It's not looking for the worst possible nightmare outcome. It's looking at the most realistic outcome, which in the case there might be, I'm going to work hard and practice giving this speech. I haven't given many before, so it's probably not going to be a home run the first time around. But you know what? I might do better than I think, and I definitely will learn something from it. Do you know what I mean? That sort of like middle range, realistic thinking. And it's not easy to do, but I think it's really critical to be able to develop that capacity to enable yourself to step into these situations.
0: Okay, understood. And then I'd love to hear some examples, of some fun stories that tie it all together. And in particular, I'm curious about the creative customizations that have happened to make it pop for folks. So I guess in your experience, do some dramatic transformations come to mind?
1: So... There are a variety of different tools you can use to customize. The woman that I told you about earlier who was afraid of being assertive with her jerk colleague, she ended up customizing her situation. So that's an example I can tell you about. She, was, she used body language. That was one of her big tools. She used a lot of things. She scripted out a few sentences. She put on a power suit. In the power suit, that's a perfect example of a prop because no one knew that it was a power suit. But for her, privately, she knew this was like her, you know, power suit. And she sort of like felt really good wearing it, right? And then she also customized – By she told me that she walked up and down the hallway with a power pose walk like this sort of like, Mm -hmm. you know, I can do this strong walk back and forth. And then she opened the door of his office without knocking. No, another customization. She walked in and she closed the door she closed the door without sort of like asking, which mm-hmm. would have put her sort of like down in a power position and so on. So you know what I mean? She customized it in her way by almost scripting it out like an actor would, but not word for word.
0: Uh-huh. Oh, what there- she say? what she say? <laughs> I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> right, exactly.
1: But do you know what I'm saying? Like, I think there are a lot of ways that, What customization can do, and if you think about it, we're sort of in an era of customization. You know, we customize our lattes, we customize our cappuccinos, we customize our shoes, our clothes, all sorts of things. Or actually, you know, it's sort of like clothes. It's like you buy a pair of pants, but it might not fit you off the rack. You need to tweak it a little bit. You need to shorten here, tuck out there. That's the same thing. We can take situations, we can personalize them a little bit. And oftentimes, even just a little bit gives us a little bit more control and power.
0: Oh, Understood. And that's so great. But I mean, my human, you know, psyche has to hear this story completed, Andy. She stepped into his office, closed the door. What'd she say?
1: So she steps into the office. She closes the door. She walks up to his desk. She holds the desk like she holds onto the desk. Like you can imagine like she almost like stands over the desk in a very powerful stance. And I remember when she was telling me the story, I said to her, ah, so you were sort of, you know, doing a power pose there to feel really powerful and intimidating. And she laughed and said to me, no, I was afraid I was going to faint. I forget her exact words. And I don't even know if she told me her exact words. But essentially what she said is she crafted out an assertive statement. You know, when you do this, it makes me feel this way. You can't do that anymore. So something along those lines that was not apologetic. It was straightforward. It addressed the behavior straight on. And it was done in a very sort of confident, powerful way. She then left and he never did it again. And by the way, this then carried over. And that's what's kind of cool. She started to realize, hey, I can actually do this. I can be assertive. And you know what? I don't care that he didn't like me or it's sort of irrelevant that he didn't like me or whether he liked me or not. And she started to be a bit more assertive in other aspects of her job as well. So it was a bit of a pivotal moment for her.
0: Oh, that's great. And I'd imagine it can have carryover even in a broader sense of fostering a real sense of you know the growth mindset. Like, yeah. hey, I couldn't do that. And then I did do that. And exactly. so therefore this other thing I think I can't do I can probably do that as well. That's right. So it could just spill over in all kinds of excellent ways.
1: Exactly. That's right.
0: Well, so tell us then, if we're getting on board with, you know, the conviction, the clarity, the customization, if let's say, I'm wondering now, are there customized or segmented solutions or approaches based on the type of psychological obstacle and resistance you get, or... Is it kind of all the same, whether I'm feeling a sense of panic or anxiety or a sense of, oh, I don't want to deal with that. Do I tackle that differently?
1: I didn't find that necessarily. I didn't find that. I found that the source that would make people fear or avoid something were those roadblocks we talked about before. And then people would find their own recipe. I talk about in the book about how it's like, it's really like a make your own type of recipe. You know how like if you like to cook, I love to cook. And you know, My kids will tell you that I never follow recipes, but I have a sense of the idea of what I want to do and I pick and choose and I sculpt something that works for me, right? And so it's the same thing here. What I found is that people experimented, they tried out different things, different situations had different opportunities to them and they sort of worked with what was available, what they had, what they were capable of and the resources that they saw and then they crafted something. What I think in one of the benefits of the book is that by giving people these tools more explicitly, like saying, hey, this is what I found, here's some tools, I'm imagining that people who read the book will be able to really more purposefully sort of craft their solutions based on what I suggest. So that's kind of cool.
0: Mm-hmm. I hear you. So I guess I'm wondering, let's say a listener right now here today is experiencing some psychological obstacle, some resistance to something. What would you say is the very first step or maybe the menu of potential very first steps?
1: Well, the first step would be to try to understand where the source of the challenge is like where exactly that's coming from, trying to really understand that. And I think that that's really critical for people. Oftentimes people sort of feel, as you sort of described earlier in your situation, sort of like this kind of amorphous, dull sense of anxiety or worry or wanting to avoid. I think you said it was like an "uh" experience, yeah. right? I think that's what most people feel. But I think having a language to actually sort of identify where that's coming from is actually really powerful. I think it starts to give you a bit more control over your fear and over the situation. That would be step one. And I outline this in the book. And in fact, I give the tools. So I would say, you know, use the tools at the back of the book. I've got ways for people to learn to develop that sense of sort of realistic clarity. And then I have tools for people to try to figure out their own capacity to customize their situation. And I think that there are other tools that are important. One of which is finding a forcing mechanism. I think a way to really nudge yourself. I think that clarity, I think customization, and I think that conviction are critical. And I think that those can sort of be, as I said before, the wind at your back to try to find some forcing mechanism, some way to nudge yourself forward. Because I think what I have found time and time again from both the people I've interviewed, people I've worked with one-on-one, and also from the learning laboratory, I told you before at the business school, that once you actually do it, and you're on the other side of avoidance, it's very different situation. So that's what I would suggest. Mm -hmm. And once you're successful, email me and tell me about your story.
0: (laughs) Certainly. Oh, no, that was such a fun story earlier (laughs) with the marching into the office uh, situation. So I want to cover just a couple quick things before we wrap up here. So do you have any other kind of tips and tricks when it comes to building confidence?
1: I think that there are a lot of ways that you can find confidence. You can understand that you've been there before. You know, you think that this is a hard time stepping outside your comfort zone, think about your own life. You know, you've learned to walk when you never could walk before. Obviously, I have kids. I, I see them sort of go through these milestones that they're scared to do something and then they're able to do it. You've gone off to college, probably. If not, or maybe many of our listeners may have gone off to college to live alone for the first time. You've probably tried a job. If it's your first job, it's a job you've never had before. You've had responsibilities you've never had before. Pete, you're podcasting. There was a time when you've never done this before. You've stepped outside your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. You know, if you sort of like replay your life life. You know, yes, you're in a situation that's outside your comfort zone. But the reality is, is that you've been there before. This can be a deja vu for you. So I think that there's confidence within you. That's my point of view. So that's one source. There are a variety of ways. And I think really finding a way to sort of loading up the deck for you to take that leap. That is the critical part, because I think the most confidence is going to come afterwards.
0: Hmm. So good. Thank you. Well, a bit of a side dish to what we're talking about. I really enjoyed the blog post you had, Secrets for Silencing Your Inner Critic. Can you offer, what are a couple of those secrets?
1: <laughs> yeah, that was a fun article to write. Yeah, I started a couple of months ago as a columnist. I write a lot for Harvard Business Review and Psychology Today, and I just started at Inc.com, which is super fun. I love writing for Inc.com. So in that article, I talk about silencing your inner critic, and a lot of us you know, feel that way, and that holds a lot of us back. I've found that this idea of clarity that I talked about before is critical to sort of the term I think I use in the article is to let your rational self take the wheel. In other words, in some ways, it's an emotional reaction, that inner critic. But if you can sort of muster the power of your sort of rational self, you can realize that you know, there's a lot that you have to be proud of and that you don't need to be so critical of yourself. Another tip that I offer is to remember your best self. You know, things might not be ideal now if you're critical of yourself, but was that always the case? I think oftentimes, and this gets back to the clarity issue, we often, when we're sort of anxious or depressed with a small d, we often overgeneralize. We forget all the positives and we fixate on the negatives. It's sort of the equivalent of if it's raining one day, you say that the weather here is always rainy. Well, sure, during this week, but not during the year. And if you use that as an analogy and look at sort of the totality of experience you have, you realize there's ups and downs, pluses and minuses. And I think that's very grounding and important to recognize, especially when you're beating yourself up. So those are some examples. I think it's a tough thing that a lot of us experience. But, you know, I got a lot of feedback from that article. So I sense that it sort of struck a chord.
0: Mm, Okay, that's good. Thank you. Okay. Well, you tell me, is there anything else you want to make sure we cover off before we shift gears and talk about some of your favorite things?
1: No. I mean, I think you did a great job. It was really fun to talk about the book. I really hope if you're listening out there, I really hope that you check out Reach. I'm really proud of the book and I would love for you to read it and let me know what you think. So that's really it.
0: All right. Can do. Well then, could you start us off by sharing, since you're a researcher, a favorite study or experiment that you
1: like? Favorite study or experiment. So I guess I have to think about my own, (laughs) I don't mean to be too self-serving here, (laughs) but so some of the original academic research that I did years ago that I talk about in REACH sort of started me off in this direction was work that I have done with a colleague from Harvard Business School, a graduate school friend who's a professor at Harvard Business School now, and we did research on what we called necessary evils. So these were tasks at work where you have to cause pain or discomfort to someone, but it's Mm. part of job. And so we studied doctors, pediatric physicians, performing painful procedures on children and delivering bad news to the parents of children. And I can tell you that it was ironic and very interesting, tough situation for me because right around the time I was doing this research, my own daughter at seven days old, she had to have a spinal tap. Oh, wow. She was okay. And she's okay. She's fine. But at the time we didn't know that. And imagine being a parent of a seven day old child holding her down as doctors are performing a spinal tap on her back. It's this massive needle in her back and this little tiny child. And and what was so bizarre and surreal for me is that as I was holding her there, I had just like, I don't know, weeks prior, months prior, been interviewing doctors, not the ones who performed the procedure, but doctors, you know, performing similar procedures and talking about their experience inside their head. So that was a, Very interesting sort of, you know, opportunity, you know, I wouldn't have chosen it, but it was an interesting opportunity to sort of peer into the backstage of their experience. So we say doctors performing painful procedures, managers laying off and delivering bad news, police officers evicting people from their homes. So as part of this research, I actually personally did what they call a ride along. Uh, I was in the back of a police car for an entire day, And we performed 20 evictions in a major metropolitan city. And so I had a flak jacket, I had everything on. And I also hung out at the police station for many, many days, sort of interviewing police officers, learning about their lives. And so that really gave me some insight. So I guess that's my, you mentioned research study. I think that's pretty apropos given what we're talking about now, because that was some of the origins of this book. You know, The book Reach is a, it's a user-friendly book for anybody, but in terms of like sort of backstage research, that's one of my favorites.
0: Well, it sounds fascinating. Well, Can you let us know, is there, I guess, the publication itself or a more, you know, non-academic, you know, general population friendly synthesis, we might access that insight?
1: There's a lot in the book Reach. Yeah, it's covered there.
0: All right. Well, fun. And could you share a favorite quote for us, something you find inspiring?
1: Sure. And this is funny. I strangely enough, a colleague of mine sent me a quote this morning randomly. She was excited about my book and she sent me this quote and I thought it was pretty relevant from Eleanor Roosevelt. The quote is, "Courage is more exhilarating than fear, and in the long run it is easier. You gain strength, courage and confidence by every experience in which you really stop to look fear in the face." I mm. thought that was a very good one. That is good. Thank you. There you go.
0: And could you share a favorite book?
1: Sure. I'll give you two. I love the book Difficult Conversations by Doug Stone and Sheila Heen. It's just a fantastic book about how to have difficult conversations. The copy in my office is so worn out. It looks like someone took a bite out of it. Another book I love is uh, Ava Hoffman's book Lost in Translation about a little girl from Poland moving to Canada and about sort of the experience of acculturation and stepping outside your cultural comfort zone as a little child. It's a really cool book.
0: Mm, Thank you. And do you have a favorite product or tool or app that helps you be more awesome at your job?
1: Oh, my Bose headphones, maybe? There you go.
0: (laughs) Noise-canceling action.
1: (laughs) Exactly. I love those, yes. (laughs) After you see me around town, that's what I'll be in. And
0: how about a favorite habit or personal practice?
1: I think I'm pretty good at knowing when I'm at my best. So if I feel like I'm at my best, I might work a little longer than I was expecting and try to, you know, get more done because I feel like I'm really in the zone. And when I feel like I'm not at my best, if I'm feeling distracted or whatever it might be, I'll stop working and I'll do something else. I might go run or, you know, whatever it might be or take a walk with my dog. But to sort of have that, you know, meta level perspective on your own effectiveness, I find that that's kind of a key tool.
0: Mm, excellent. Thank you. And how about a favorite sort of a nugget or gem, something that you share that gets people nodding their heads, doing Kindle book highlighting, et cetera. They're like, yes, Andy is brilliant.
1: <laughs> oh, well, I end my book with this and I do really believe this. And so this is how I end my book, this sentence. I say, no one ever said getting outside your comfort zone is easy, but with a solid plan in place and the courage to take it forward, your results can be extraordinary. And I really believe that. I've seen it. And so that's a nugget.
0: All right. Thank you. And what would you say is the best way for folks to learn more about you or get in touch?
1: Well, lots of ways. So I have a website and maybe in your show notes, you'll be able to link to that. So that's andymalinski.com. I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn and Twitter. And I have a Facebook, a public sort of author Facebook where I post lots of cool stuff on it. Don't Snapchat me because I'm really bad at it. My 12 year old daughter loves to do it and I'm sort of learning, but not (laughs) not too good at it. And I, I really you know, all kidding aside, I love to connect with readers. So if you read the book and you really like it, find it useful, have a story to share, please reach out.
0: Okay, certainly. Well, closing, do you have a final call to action or challenge for those seeking to be more awesome at their jobs?
1: Step outside your comfort zone. Be honest with yourself. Is there something that you feel that you might be rationalizing away something that you say to yourself i oh, know this isn't the time to do it or i don't really need to do this but if you were able to strip away the anxiety it actually might be something you'd like to do you know try to identify that and you know give it a shot and you know if you take a look at my book i think you'll get some really helpful tips and tools and insights about how to do that but that would be my call to action
0: Okay, Andy, thank you so much. This has been a treat and I hope that Reach is a smashing success here.
1: Thank you. This has been really, really good. I've really enjoyed the conversation. So I appreciate you having me on.
0: Conviction, clarity, customization. That's what it takes. So I hope you'll dig in and take on some new challenges, some things that maybe seemed a little intimidating or just a little uh, too much in a given moment by applying those three Cs. And if you want to review some of this good stuff, the show notes, the transcripts, or the links, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F108. And if that book sounded up your alley, I recommend you pre-order it. You're only gonna to have to wait a couple of days. It'll come out real soon. And Andy's offering some extra bonus gifts like an ebook for mastering cultural codes around the world, access to masterclass sessions, etc. So now is the time if you're gonna grab it because you can get those bonus goodies So you can see those links, again, over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep108. And I encourage you, if you haven't already, do push the subscribe button so you don't miss hearing from folks like our next guest, Toku McCree, who's got some fascinating wisdom coming from an interesting career journey involving a Zen monastery for some years and more as he looks at some pretty sharp, incisive coaching questions that explore definitions of success and how to up your game in some cool ways. So hope to catch you then. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.